0: and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. How's it going, people? Welcome back to the Chronicles of, of the podcast, part of the team in Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Singh, Coming to you around about half an hour after the full-time whistle, it's finished PSV Eindhoven 2, Arsenal 0. Our worst performance of the season? I think so. Did Mikel Arteta get it right? I think that's up for debate. We're going to be getting into all of that tonight, but we're also... going to be taking some of your questions and thoughts from the live chat box. Don't forget to leave a like on the video if you're watching us on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you are brand new. And if you're listening on the audio platforms, then please do leave us a review. Okay, let's get into it. Let's talk PSV Eindhoven to Arsenal nil. In fact, actually, before we do that, Um, there's some far more serious news that we need to touch on and we need to bring to people's attention. I'm sure most of you have seen it online by the time you're listening to this, by the time you're reading this. But uh, it's been reported this evening that there were six people stabbed uh, by somebody with uh, mental health issues in a shopping centre in Italy, close to Milan, and the Arsenal defender, Pablo Marie, was one of those people Pablo Marie has been stabbed it's been confirmed um, and he is now in hospital there's no update on his condition we don't know any more details than that but one Italian outlet is reporting that a couple uh, of the victims are in a serious uh, sort of are in a serious condition um, sorry I, I I don't really know what the words are to kind of describe this it's it It makes me realise that I'm about to sit here and moan about what I just saw from Arsenal tonight. And I'm about to sit here and complain about the performance and and some of the decisions that the manager's taken and all of that stuff. When actually there are just much more uh, important things in life. So I wanted to get that out there first. Um, Wishing, of course, Pablo Marie well. Prayers are with him. Um, His friends and family as well, who I'm sure are sick with worry at this moment in time. And of course, to all the other victims uh, involved in that terrible attack. Uh, so Arsenal with you, Pablo Marie. The Arsenal fan base are with you, Pablo Marie. And um, we wish you a speedy and full recovery, of course. OK, let's talk PSV Eindhoven 2, Arsenal 0. Worst performance of the season? Might be. You know, it was really abject, wasn't it? From the very beginning, to be fair. Uh, you know, sometimes you look at these games and, you know, sometimes you you look at the team and you think, You know, were we that bad? Were we as bad as it felt? You know, and the thing is, when you look at the statistics, and this is what people would do, right? People that didn't watch the game, people that are looking at this from the outside in will look at the match statistics and they will see when they glance over um, on uh, the BBC Sport website or wherever it is uh, that you look to get your statistics from, they will see, hold on, let me just bring them up. I thought I had it on the screen ready. I obviously don't, which is terrible. Uh, on my part, here we go, PSV 2, Arsenal nil. match stats. Arsenal 70% possession, 15 shots to PSV Eindhoven's 8. So why does it feel like we played so bloody badly? I'll tell you why. Because we were unable to penetrate the PSV defence. We worked the ball into the final third plenty of times and into their half plenty of times, but we never really made anything of it. We struggled to carve them open. I think that was largely down to two things. A, really poor decision-making when getting into the final third from a number of players. I think Fabio Vieira was a big culprit of that today. There were times where I was looking at him and I'm thinking, play the simple pass, play the simple pass. And we're trying to to overcomplicate it. We're trying to, you know, force the issue maybe too much when actually the simpler option is the one that we should be taking. So I think decision-making was poor in the final third in large parts, pretty much, in fact, every time we got into the final third. And the other thing was a lack of tempo. There was a real lack of urgency to the way we attacked. It was as if we were quite happy to move the ball at this really slow pace. People were happy to take an extra touch. There was no zip, there was no tempo, there was no drive in the final third. And what does that do? It allows your opponent to get back behind the ball, defend effectively, hold a good shape. When you go left, they shift across. When you go right, they shift back across. And the reason they're able to do that without leaving major holes and gaps for you to expose is simply because you're moving the ball too slowly. And when you think about the intensity with which this Arsenal team started the season, you you think, How on earth have we got from there to here where we're seeing these dull, slow tempered, um, slow tempoed, I beg your pardon, performances? And look, people have been talking a lot this week about burnout. I myself have been convinced about the potential of burnout as well. But you're not going to win nothing if you're burnt out by the end of October. And, And that's the bottom line, right? Are there players missing at the moment? Yeah, and I've talked about this at length as well in recent days. If we had some of these players, then the rotation would be able to be a little bit more drastic. Perhaps maybe Mikel Arteta would trust the likes of El Nenny and Emil Smith-Rowe to come into the side. And that means you can rotate two, sometimes three more players. And that allows you to keep people fresh and fit. I talked about Mikel Arteta wanting to keep momentum, wanting to make sure that we continued to pick up positive results because of what that does for the team mentally. And I think, you know, that was certainly uh, a part of his thinking tonight. But look, let's start off with the team selection. Okay, I'm going to share with you guys uh, the screen so you can see what I'm looking at. I'm looking at the BBC website. Uh, Bear with me a second. Share screen. Hold on. There we go. So how did Arsenal line up tonight? Against PSV Eindhoven. This is the team that Mikel Arteta went with. He went with Ramsdale in goal. Matt Turner was injured, hence why he didn't play. Um, he wasn't in the squad at all tonight because of an injury problem, and that's why Ramsdale came in. Karl Hein was the goalkeeper on the bench, but Mikel Arteta opted to play with Ramsdale. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty certain that Matt Turner would have played had he been fit. The back four, actually, on paper, looked pretty good. It was pretty much, I think it was, in fact, the same back four that I picked when I was doing my preview of this game. So I'm not going to sit here and be a hypocrite. Tomiyasu, Saliba, Holding and Tierney were across the back line. The midfield three was laconga Xhaka and Odegaard. And the front three was Nketiah through the middle, Martinelli on the left and Fabio Vieira playing from the right. Now, I'd been waiting For a long time to see Fabio Vieira start a game from the right hand side, because I really felt that that was a job and a role that he could do. And I'm not saying that based on tonight, I'm going to completely write him off. And I don't think he can ever do that job ever again. But the performance tonight from him, I think, underwhelmed, as did the performance of everybody. But he's one in particular that is knocking on the door of the first team, is hoping to play more regularly. He's hoping to force his way into Mikel Arteta's thinking on a Saturday or a Sunday when we play in the Premier League. And, you know, based on tonight, I don't think he did that. Based on the last few games, I don't think he's done that. He started his Arsenal career really promisingly. And it's just, I think it's tailed off a little bit. Now, again, I'm not sitting here saying, you know, I don't want this guy. He's rubbish. Get rid of him, et cetera, et cetera. But I am disappointed. I'm underwhelmed by what I've seen in recent weeks. I have to say that. So we start the game and we start the game, as I've said, um, looking as if we've gone there only interested in the point. Looking as if we've gone there and given the mixing match of the team, you know, that we've got, um, you know, a Premier League game coming up on Sunday, given that. We're trying to find this balance. We're trying to secure our spot at the top of the group. And why are we trying to secure the spot at the top of the group? Because essentially that eliminates not just the two games that we would play in the playoff round if we went through a second, but it also eliminates the Zurich game from our schedule as well. Next Thursday night, because had we won tonight or had we got the point tonight, you could have rotated the entire 11 ahead of that one or in that one. And then you'd have been totally rested for an entire week before the big game we've got coming up with Chelsea. But we didn't get the point. And I always think it's a dangerous mindset to have, to go somewhere knowing that you just need to avoid defeat, I think can be dangerous. I think it can be counterproductive. I think it can cause an arrogance. It can cause a, you know, uh, I don't even know what the word is. It can make you a little bit passive in your approach, perhaps. It can soften your mental stance going into the game. I I don't really know how to put this, but essentially what I'm saying is it messes around with your mind, right? And it does allow complacency to kick in. And I certainly think that was the case tonight. Now, at the end of the day, this is a young group and a young squad for the most part. And you look at nights like this and you think these nights, these occasions, they're going to come around, they're going to happen. But as long as you can take the positives out of them and move forward, then we should be OK. But at the time, you know, you, you, you're you looking at it and you can't see any positives. I certainly can't. And I highly doubt that when I wake up tomorrow morning, I'm going to see any t- either. So, you know, that I, I don't really, like. it's not like we can come away from tonight's game and say, well, so-and-so showed that, you know, he's, he's closer to the first team. So-and-so played quite well tonight. I really liked his performance, despite the result being disappointed. You know, you look at the stats tonight and you'd think that Arsenal went there and completely played PSV off the park. But the truth is, we had a lot of the ball and done a whole lot of nothing with it. And that's been something that has commonly occurred under Mikel Arteta, um, whereby we've dominated games, controlled them. Southampton, a good example of that just at the weekend where we controlled the first half. In fact, we were totally dominant in the first half, but we didn't have that cutting edge and we weren't clinical enough to go and put the game to bed. And then we weren't at it in the second half. Physically, our level dropped dramatically and we ended up dropping points. So, look, again, it's not the end of the world, okay? Let's have it right. We're still going to win this group. I'm pretty much certain of it. I'll be shocked if Arsenal don't win this group now. You know, a game at home against FC Zurich, who are comfortably the worst team in the group, you've got to fancy our chances of getting the result we need and securing that place in, uh, in, of course, the round of 16. So we should still avoid that playoff round, uh, which is great. And that then wipes two games off of our calendar. But we could have wiped off three uh, in terms of their significance had we... Got the point that we needed tonight. But I guess, look, if you're looking at tonight in isolation, if you're looking at this game in isolation, is it something I'd be losing my mind about? Like, would I come away from that game and and sort of sink into a panic and and a stress about where the season's going? No, I wouldn't. But the worrying thing is, is that these performances or this type of performance, we saw it in the second half against Leeds. We saw it in the second half at Southampton. And we saw it at the Phillips Stadion again tonight. Now, you could argue that it was much worse in the second half from a defensive point of view than it was in the first. Obviously, PSV had the ball in the back of the net twice in the first half. But, of course, both of those goals were ruled out correctly for offside. Um, But, you know, in the first half, did we do an awful lot? Like, as an attacking force? No. And in the second half, did we do anything apart from that one Eddie Nketiah shot? Um, where the keeper spilt it and then there was a bit of a coming together um, and Jesus was booked for trying to get on the rebound. Did we do anything of note? No, we didn't. And that's where you got to worry, right? Because it's all good having the ball, but if you can't make anything of it, what's the point? Now, am I surprised by this? No, I'm not surprised by this. And this is why whenever I go on the radio, whenever I talk to you guys, whenever I do any work, the first thing people say to me is, can Arsenal win the league? And my answer is always no. And when I give that answer, people are shocked. They can't believe that me, an Arsenal fan who should be enjoying the ride, and I am, will not give his team a hope or a chance of winning one of the big ones. The big one. We're only in this big one. We're not in the Champions League. People can't believe that I'm of that opinion. Why am I of that opinion? Because I know what this team are. I know where this team's level is. I know that the first 11 of this team is good enough to compete on their day with anyone. But I also know that beyond that, we don't have the strength in depth. And when you make multiple changes like we did tonight, and you go to somewhere like PSV, if people don't step up, if people don't perform, if those on the peripheries of the first team do not step up their game and make their case and claim for a place in the first 11, then you've got no chance whatsoever. No chance at all. We know that Eddie and Ketty are and listen, let me let me just make this clear before I, I kind of go off on my next little mini rant. I'm not I'm not digging out individual players. It's not their fault, right? It's not if someone's not good at something or not as good at something as someone else, a lot of the time it's not their fault, right? It's about ability, it's about quality, you know, it's about so many different things. We all know that Eddie Nketiah is not Gabby Jesus. What involvement does Eddie Nketiah have in the game outside of popping up in the penalty area if you provide providing the service? His involvement is zero. He doesn't run channels. He doesn't drop into deep areas. He doesn't link up very well with the people around him. He is a very, in my opinion, one-dimensional striker. The work rate's there, great, happy days. Will he chase if you ask him to chase? Yes, he will. Will he sprint when you want him to sprint? Yes, he will. But does he have the footballing brain, the technical ability, the experience, the ability to bring others into the game that Gabriel Jesus does? No, he doesn't. He's not even close to it. Okay, so that's one of our big problem positions. You take Gabriel Jesus out the side who needs a bloody break, for God's sake. The level drops dramatically. You take Thomas Partey out of the midfield, And you've got Sambi Lekonga. Honestly, based on tonight's performance, we might as well not have had a midfield. And I know, like, people will say, don't lose your mind, don't run. You know, for weeks now, we've been looking at Sambi Laconga and we're waiting for this guy to step up and we're waiting for him to show us that he can do it. We're waiting for him to give us a sign that he's on his way to becoming a top midfielder. I'm not even asking for him to deliver and perform at a really high level every time he plays. I don't expect that. There are going to be inconsistencies. He doesn't play week in, week out. He's still young. He's still developing. He is not Thomas Partey. I totally accept that. But give me something, man. Give me signs. Give me give me a glimpse of what the future could be with you in that position. And I, I always hear people say he's playing out of position. He's not a defensive midfielder. He's not a deep line midfield player. He's not an eight either, really, really. Um, I said to you guys the other day that maybe he'd be slightly better suited to that role. And I'd be interested to see how he would fare in that position with a run of games. But even still, am I convinced that he's that? No, I'm not. I'm not convinced that Sambi Lekonga is the profile of midfielder that fits into this system. And that concerns me. That worries me. He's got to take better care of the ball. He gets the ball to his feet and his touches are heavy. Okay, his touches are loose. He he shows too much of the ball to his opponents. And you can't be that irresponsible in possession when you're playing in front of the back four. You can't. You can't swan around that 50%. You can't be that kind of, you know, like we've looked at players in the past, right? We've looked at players like, do you remember, I don't know, Nwanko Kanu, right? The way he used to play. He looked like it was really casual, really chilled, really slow, Um, But he'd come alive in certain areas and and cause teams problems. You look at people like, you know, to use another Premier League example, Dimitar Berbatov. He looked like he'd be walking around half the time. You can do that when you're a forward. You can do that in certain areas of the pitch, but you can't do that when you're playing in front of a back four. And Sambi Lakonga has got that casual air about him and it drives me insane. He needs to probably go out on loan. He needs to go and play somewhere else. He needs to play in a team where he's going to be the focal point, where he's going to be loved. Because right now, if you're holding him up against Thomas Partey, the pair are worlds apart. And so how can you then be surprised when he's taken, or sorry, when Partey's taken out the side, Lukonga's put in, how can you be surprised when the level drops? You shouldn't be. You shouldn't be. You know, you talk about other areas. Rob Holding, he was a disaster in the build-up to that first goal. An absolute disaster. He'd made a couple of errors earlier on in the game and he'd got away with them. But in the build-up to that first goal, his defending was really poor. Again, is anyone surprised? Is anyone surprised that those players have been exposed this evening? What I will say is, for those that have been sitting there moaning about Gabriel, (laughs) You want to take a look at Rob Holding tonight and thank your lucky stars that we've got players like Gabriel to come back into the side, who, by the way, is reportedly gone down the tunnel limping, which isn't good news at all. And we'll await further updates on that. You know, it's I mean, let's go through the team. You know, actually, let's talk about the goals first. Let's talk about the individual moments. Let's let's break that that down. And then we'll talk about individual performances and get some of your thoughts and questions uh, from the live chat box. If I could quickly remind you, please do leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. It really, really does help. And subscribe to the channel if you are new. Uh, that really, really does help. Look, also as well, actually, before we go into the goals, before we go into all of that, look, I had said that PSV at the Phillips Stadion would be a totally different ball game it would be a totally different kettle of fish. And it was. You know, you've got to respect teams in this competition. You've got, to, you've got to be aware. And and when I say respect teams, right, so let me be clear. I'm not saying that Mikel Arteta should have picked the first 11. There were three players on my radar that I wanted to keep out of the firing line tonight, that I wanted to keep wrapped up in Cotton Mall. Do you know who those players were? Thomas Partey. Bokayo Saka and Gabriel Jesus. They were the three for me that needed wrapping up in cotton wool and only needed to come on tonight in the worst case scenario. And all three of them ended up on the pitch. Thomas Partey ended up on the pitch after 55 minutes. That's not what you want. You know, what's the point in resting him? In fact, you might as well play him from the beginning. It, it, It drives me... You know, it's it's really disappointing. It's really sad to see that you know we went there tonight and we just we weren't up for it. You know, surely as a footballer, if if winning the group is not enough incentive, then surely ridding yourself of the concern of next Thursday's game and then the playoff round for certain was worth fighting for tonight. Surely, if you are a Laconga or an Inquietia or a Vieira or a Holding, somebody who isn't getting as much game time as they'd like in the Premier League. You'd have been motivated tonight to go out there and do a job and give the manager something to think about. But anyway, let's take it to the let's take it to the goals. Um, so obviously they had the ball in the net twice um, in the first half. Cody Gakpo uh, was played through uh, in behind the centre backs. He was definitely offside. There's no question about it. He got through. And he chipped the ball over the goalkeeper. Smart finish, but it wasn't going to count because he was offside. Then there was another instance. Xavi Simmons uh, got in behind after, again, some shocking defending uh, from a number of players. Somehow he gets through that. He should never get through that situation with the ball at his feet. And he does and he finds the back of the net. Again, though, there was an offside in the build-up. So we were really fortunate. We had two kicks up the backside to remind us and to show us that if we weren't at the races tonight, if we weren't up to it, if, uh, as Mikel Arteta would say, if we didn't win our jewels, if we didn't win our battles, we could quite easily lose this. Second half starts, and it's more of the same. You know, we were like this against Leeds at the start of the second half. We were asleep. We were asleep. And the same can be said about the game at Southampton. So can you see where I'm going with this? I'm not losing my mind because we got a much-changed Arsenal eleven, a side that had five changes from the side that played uh, in the Premier League last weekend, got beaten away from home against a very good, threatening, attacking PSV side in a difficult atmosphere. That's not my issue. Shit happens. This is football. Things happen, right? You don't win every single game that you play. My problem is, is that there are common themes starting to develop. Why do we come out at the second half of football matches asleep? Where has that come from? That probably even stretches back as far as the game against Liverpool, because if you think about it, we were really poor at the start of the second half. We allowed Liverpool to dominate the game, despite having scored right on the stroke of half-time, and you felt having knocked the stuffing out of them. We gave them encouragement at the start of the second half. They equalised, and luckily we were able, through the penalty later on, to go on and win the game. But this second half thing is a problem. Why? I don't know. What's going on in the changing room at half-time? Does more motivation need to be given? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a fly on the wall, but there's obviously a recurring theme there, and that worries me, and that concerns me. Then, of course, um, the first PSV goal comes um a proper psv goal one that counted and listen there our problems really started when uh when they changed um the forward and they took el Ghazi off and they brought De young on he was a constant thorn in our side he was physical he was battling with people he was occupying center halves he was getting in their faces and unfortunately rob holding in particular just struggled um you know to deal with that and they worked the ball um over to uh, Veerman. I don't know where Lokonga was. I talked, I referenced maybe not having a midfield at times. The ball got worked, um, you know, into a central position. Lokonga isn't covering the back line in the way he should be, in my opinion. Veerman gets the shot off and it goes into the back of the net and PSV have liftoff. And you're thinking then, right, look, come on, wake up. Wake up, Arsenal. Get back on it. Wake up. Get back on it. Let's start playing our game. Let's see what we can do. Let's see if we can salvage a point here. And instead of that, we go and concede another goal, the cheapest of goals. Corner comes in, Aaron Ramsdale comes flying out like Superman, punches the air, doesn't get anywhere near it, and it's headed into the back of the net. And before you know it, PSV Eindhoven are two goals to the good. Two goals to the good, through De Jong, the substitute, on the 63rd minute. And then, what do Arsenal do? They start making more changes. So at this point, you've already brought on Saka and Partey, two players that I didn't want on the pitch. Okay, at 1-0 down, was it at 1-0 down? Yeah, at 1-0 down, two minutes after the vehement goal, he brings on both Saka and Partey. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, you know, I I guess I can see where you're coming from. I guess I understand the need and the want to try and salvage a point here. And at 1-0, you feel like this situation is retrievable. But then we go 2-0 down. And at 2-0 down, I'm sorry, but we're not turning this game around. There was no way, no way on God's green earth that Arsenal were going to turn the game around at that point. Because when you are, when you are struggling for rhythm, when you are struggling for tempo, when you are struggling for cohesion, when it's just not your day, changing a couple of players, bang, just like that, doesn't, It isn't the only thing you need to do to try and turn the ship around. You need the level of those already on the pitch to increase. We'd had the the stuffing knocked out of us because we just conceded a second and the nature of that second goal. So what does he do? He goes and he brings on Gabriel Jesus, who's desperate for a rest, and he brings on Gabriel, who we think might have picked up an injury tonight. And he brings on Ben White. And you're sitting there, and you're thinking, what's the point? Like, genuinely, that was my view. Like, my view at the time when we went 2-0 down was like, okay, game over. It's done and dusted. I know there's ample amount of time left, but it's done and dusted. It's been a bad night at the office. We don't want to run players down. we got a Premier League game coming up at the weekend, which I think is going to be a tough game, by the way, against a Nottingham Forest side who will be in great spirits after beating Liverpool. I think we're, you know, I'm in the place where I think, right, this game's done. You take it on the chin, you know, you you throw it over your shoulder and you move on. And you go against Sunday, you get it right, and then you go again against Zurich, you do the job that you need, and okay, we're going to have to play another game that we could have rotated more heavily for. We're going to have to focus on it, we're going to have to make sure we get the result. It is a few days before our trip to Chelsea, which isn't ideal, but it is what it is, and you just move on, right? But instead, we've brought players on. And, you know, Mikel Arteta said in the week, didn't he? He said something like, I can't afford, I don't have the numbers, I don't have the squad to change 11 players every single week. No, you don't. But you need to weigh up whether you believe that bringing Gabriel Jesus on at that point in the game is worth the risk of him picking up an injury or, you know, failing to recover from the fitness issues that he's had in the last few days, last few weeks, where, okay, he's been fit enough to play, but he's not been his brilliant best. He's not been at his sharpest. You have to weigh up whether the the risk that you're taking is worth the potential reward, whether the reward that you seek is even a realistic outcome to expect. And I don't think it was. I don't think it was. Look, it's not the end of the world, okay? We still, as I said already, probably win the group, right? We still probably, um, you know, beat Nottingham Forest at the weekend. We should beat Nottingham Forest at the weekend. But Again, as I said to you before, this is not about tonight's performance in isolation. This is about a series of, in particular, second-half performances that are really, really underwhelmed, that have been really bad, comparatively speaking, when you look at how we've played for the majority of the season. And we've talked about many managers in the past being too intense, right? A lot of people used to say that about Marcelo Bielsa. And one of the common things was, well, by... Christmas, his team are normally burnt out and they have a shit second half of the season or vice versa, whatever. Anyway, there's always that kind of narrative around managers that are really intense. You know, can their players last the distance? And when you don't have the squad depth, we clearly don't, then that is something you have to think about. That is something you can consider. But as I said to you already, if on the 27th of October, we're blowing out of our asses, then we got a problem. And this is why I continuously say to people, we're not at the level to challenge for the Premier League title just yet. We're not anywhere near it because Manchester City and Liverpool in recent seasons have set the bar when it comes to intensity, being robust, staying fit. They've set that bar so high. That's what it takes nowadays to win a Premier League title. And we just don't have it because we don't have the depth. We don't have the strength. If if Partey was... You know, let's let's take the Partey-Laconga comparison, right? Because I think that's the, that's the fairest one. It's the one where it's probably most prevalent. You've got a top, top midfielder who doesn't have it in him to play two games a week. We know that. And then you've got a midfielder who's aspiring to be that guy, who's aspiring to take on the mantle, who's aspiring to push Thomas Partey for a midfield position. But they are miles and miles and miles apart. So how do you bridge that gap? Well, the youngster has to play more. He has to come in and he has to uh, fill in. He has to do it alongside the right midfield. A lot of people w- always say, you know, when talking about Le Conga, well, some of the midfields he's been forced to play in have been really um, have been really weak. And as a consequence, he's looked worse for it. He played with Xhaka and Odegaard tonight. It doesn't get better than that. That's Arsenal's first choice midfield. And Le Conga slotted into that. And I hoped he'd slot in nicely, but he didn't. Because defensively he's not aware enough. He really isn't. He doesn't give the backline the protection that Partey does. He doesn't distribute the ball in the way that Partey does. He's not as he's not as responsible in possession um, as Thomas Partey is, and, and the drop off is too big. Again, we'll have a debate about Congo I'm sure in the coming days, is it the role? Is this a case of the Granite Jackers, whereby? We were trying to shoehorn him into this defensive midfield position, painting him to be a certain type of midfielder, and actually he never was. And now that he's been moved and now that he's been given a role that better suits his skill set, he is thriving. Is that the same with Conger? Are we going to be saying this in a few years' time? Maybe. But right now he's got to do a job when Thomas Partey's not playing and he's not doing it. It's hard. It's really hard. It's really hard not to be annoyed and frustrated tonight and to remain kind of calm and composed and remain sort of focused on the bigger picture, which at the moment is still really positive. Look, we're still top of the group. You know, we sit at the top of our Europa League group. We sit at the top of the Premier League. There's lots to be happy about, but there are just signs that we're starting to level out a little bit. And I'm wondering what we can do in order to make sure that we don't nosedive. You can't afford to be burnt out on the 27th of October if you want to compete at the elite level. But Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess summary, like we'll go over to the chat in a minute. Just start chucking some of your questions in there. Pop a queue at the beginning and we'll get through as many of those as we can uh, between now and the end of the programme. But, yeah, I mean, summary, really disappointing, underwhelming performance, an opportunity missed, not just for Arsenal as a football club to secure... Their place as group winners and as I said, lighten the schedule, which is something that everybody wants to do and achieve given the nature of this season. But it's an opportunity missed for a lot of the individuals that have been on the peripheries of things, who hope to establish themselves as first team regulars. And I'm talking about in the Premier League. It's an opportunity missed for them as well. Because when I go through the list of them that played today. I mean, look, I think the ship has well and truly sailed on Rob Holding, right? Nobody expects Rob Holding to ever hold down a starting place in the Arsenal 11. Kieran Tierney will feel aggrieved and upset at the fact that he's not been the first choice left back in the Premier League. I have felt aggrieved and upset that Kieran Tierney is not occupying or does not have that role right now. But was he any good tonight? No, he really wasn't. Tommy Asu, at right back. Was he any good tonight? No. And I thought he was poor at Southampton as well, in the second half especially. So, you know, he's got stuff to work on. As I mentioned, Rob Holding is never going to be that guy. You move into the midfield. Has Sambi Lekonga given Mikel Arteta any confidence? The confidence that says, you don't need to go out in January and bring in another deep line midfield player because I can do it. I'm still learning, boss. I'm on the right path. I can do it. I can be your man. You can trust me. You can rely on me when Thomas Partey is either not available or needs a rest. No, he's not done that at all. He's not done any of that. Has Eddie Nketiah shown that he can give anywhere near what Gabriel Jesus gives to the team when he leads the line? No, he hasn't. Fabio Vieira from the right. It's something I wanted to see, but he's not Bukayo Saka. And this is the point look, nobody has... 22 players of an equal level, right? So every squad, when they rotate, when they shift things around, has a drop-off. And I totally understand and acknowledge that. But our drop-off, it's too bloody significant. I wouldn't have made some of the changes that Mikel did. I wouldn't have made the changes after 2-0. I don't think there was any point uh, in doing that at that point. All you did was increase the risk of losing someone going into the weekend. And we might have lost someone in Gabriel, depending on what their... Um, what the kind of word is on that but yeah the drop-off is too big and I've been saying it and saying it and saying it all damn season so on the one hand I'd like I'm not going to sit here and say Mikel should have gone really weak because you know I talk about the significance of winning the group and, and the extra significance had we got that job done today I don't think he should have gone really weak because he can't go really weak. Not because I don't want him to, because he can't. Because if you go any weaker than that, God knows what happens to us tonight. And that's the reality of this situation we're in. We're a good team, but we don't have the squad depth that some of the others do. And that is going to bite us in the arse. That is going to cost us over the course of the season. And it's why I urge them to in the summer, uh, I beg your pardon, in January, the summer too, but in January, go out and bring in a couple of additions. You have to. If you really feel like this Arsenal side can be right up there, and I'm not talking about the Premier League. I'm talking about in the top three, top four. If you think Arsenal can sustain that, maintain that, and maybe win a Europa League, go the distance in one of the competitions, you need to give him more. You need to give him more. And people will say, he's been here for ages. Why don't we have the depth? Because you don't build an over-bloated squad and then trim it down. You build a, a small strong squad and you build it out. That's the way you do things. That's the way you do things, in my opinion. Okay, get your questions in, get your thoughts in. I'll take as many of those as I possibly can. Just a quick reminder, leave a like on the video. There's no reason why we shouldn't have at least a hundred of them on the board and we're nowhere near it. What is going on? Leave a like, leave a review. All of that. I'm sorry if I sound like I'm ranting tonight. Like it's not my intention, but I just I've had I've had one of those days, right, where you like so my day today was: get up in the morning, go to 90min. We recorded the Champions League show. I left from 90min. I went straight over to Talksport. We did the show on Talksport too with Shabana Hearn. We finished there, and then I'm flapping around like an absolute madman to make sure that I catch the train that gets me home just in time for kickoff. And then you get home after all that flapping about and you're stressed and you're hot because you've been jogging from the train station and all of that with your bag on your back and your coat on and all of this, and you've been on the hot, sweaty trains and and you get back and you make all that effort just to sit down in front of the TV, crack open a drink and watch the game. And you get that. You get that. I mean, I can't even imagine how those who travelled out to Eindhoven are feeling. You know, I'm sure they had a great time outside of the football, but my God, um, you know, it was a really, really poor performance, wasn't it? Really dull, really bad. Um, but yeah. Anyway, OK. Um, yeah. <laughs> we brush it aside and and we look ahead to Nottingham Forest. It's the only thing we can do, really. Right. Let's take some of... Um, Let's take some of your thoughts, some of your questions. And we got to do this. And I was saving this because I saw uh, Diagene's comment in there. And I saw a couple of others comment about this earlier on. we got to talk Aaron Ramsdale. Look, his performance wasn't bad, apart from that one moment of absolute effing madness. And you know he's got that in him. I've said it from the day we signed him. For all the brilliant things he does, for all the eccentricity, for all the... Um, the jumping up and down and the beating of his chest and sort of riling up of crowds and teammates and all of that. And for all the spectacular saves he makes, Aaron Ramsdale has these moments in him. He comes out and he doesn't do enough. You've got to get there. You do not launch into the wards the ball like that if you're not going to get it. You You have to go in and you have to get it and you have to clear everybody out in your way. That's what goalkeepers do. And Aaron Ramsdale has just misjudged that and he's got caught in no man's land and he's already committed and he swings an arm out. He gets nowhere near it and we concede the second goal, which was ultimately the fatal goal. Am I going to sit here, though, and make a massive deal about Aaron Ramsdale as an individual? No, I'm not, because he's still our number one goalkeeper. He's still been good so far this season. Um, Arsenal's team in general has been really good and it's why we shouldn't go OTT on um on kind of what we saw tonight. If it continues, you know, and I know it's been a a few games now where those 2nd half performance levels have really dropped. But if this continues, I think then we have every right to kind of try and dissect it and work out where exactly it's going wrong. I think all goalkeepers make mistakes. You know, some of the best goalkeepers in the world, World Cup-winning goalkeepers have had howlers. I can think of so many off the top of my head. So I'm not going to sit here and dig him out massively. But on the night, it's disappointing. And, you know, on a night when you're looking at five or six of your first teamers to kind of carry the rest and help them through and guide them through. You don't want your first choice goalkeeper going and doing a thing like that. Let's see what else we've got. Uh, MD says, uh, was this really a lack of depth or did we just not play well? No, but we didn't play well partly because of the lack of depth, in my opinion, because of that drop off that we keep talking about. And Steve Stone says, that's how I see it. More than fatigue, Harry. The drop-off is just too big. Uh, Kuhn says, uh, Mikel needs to be scrutinised as well. His team selections recently have been baffling. He's carried on this nonsense because we hadn't lost. Maybe it's overconfidence. I don't know that it's overconfidence. Look, I think the the only questionable team selection choices or team decisions he's made in recent weeks for me is that left-back where he's been picking Tomiyasu over Tierney. I thought... It was weird against Liverpool, but he did it and it worked. I think because it worked against Liverpool, I kind of accepted it against Leeds, even though I didn't think it was the right thing. And we got away with something that didn't work that day. And then he did it at Southampton and it certainly didn't work then. But outside of that, I don't think his team's elections have been particularly strange or particularly controversial. So I I slightly disagree with you there. Um, Ivan says... Do you think we should rotate one or two players in the league games versus the weaker opponents? Maybe playing with the first unit might raise some of those players' levels. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. I mean, listen, the Premier League is your bread and butter. It's your priority. You want to finish in the top four. You want to achieve Champions League qualification. And if you can achieve something else in the cup competitions, well, that's a great bonus as well. I don't know that I would take the risk, though, of doing that. I just, when I look at that team on paper, right, let me compare it to... PSV Eindhoven side, right? You look at, for example, you know, the the backline, Mwene, Ramaglio, Branthwaite, Max. Is that an outstanding backline? Sangare Gutierrez in the midfield. I know a lot of Arsenal fans have been quite keen on Sangare for a while. He's decent. Um, You know, El Ghazi, Villa palmed him off to Everton and Everton got rid of him and now he's at PSV. Veerman. Don't know. Gakpo and Siemens are the two players that I look at as a danger. But on paper, we had enough tonight to compete. There's no question about that. There's no doubt about that. And um, and that's the, the disappointing thing. Let's take a few more. Um Obradek says, Um, would you take Zaha as an addition to the squad in January? I absolutely would, but it's not gonna happen because it will cost too much money. Crystal Palace will not allow him to depart. On the cheap and you know I, I he doesn't really fit in i don't think with the long-term recruitment strategy that arsenal as a football club are seemingly implementing uh, lots of people talking about the need to go out there and beat nottingham forest at the weekend we absolutely do yeah we do um we really really do uh let's see what else we've got brian says a better chance of qualifying for the top four this year than winning the european trophy Should we prioritise the league and sacrifice all the Cups, including the Carabao and FA Cups? It's good to win trophies, but that will come. As I said, I literally just said seconds ago, the Premier League is your bread and butter, and that's what you've got to be focused on, first and foremost. I wouldn't bin off the Europa League. I'd I'd maybe bin off the other Cups, because the Europa League offers us an alternative route to what is ultimately our end goal, and that is to get back in the Champions League. So, If you fail in the league, you've always got the Europa League to fall back on and vice versa. So I think of those two, so the Premier League and the Europa League, at this point, I'm not ready to come to a crossroads where I've got to take one route or the other. I'm going to stay travelling down those parallel roads for now. And maybe we can make that decision later on in the season, depending on how things go. Okay, uh, let's take this one from Sko, who says, uh, for me, it's about the tough, congested schedule. And that period has tested the squad that isn't super deep in quality and depth. The team is still top of all competitions after coming through it. So no reason for the teeth gnashing. Yeah, you're right. And, And tomorrow, I'm sure my outlook will be a little bit softer. Like, I'm just disappointed tonight more than anything else. More than... Losing to PSV, I'm disappointed by the attitude. I'm disappointed by the lack of application. I'm disappointed by the lack of ideas. And I'm disappointed that players who had an opportunity tonight to really push for their places have just not delivered again. And the reason I'm a bit upset right now is because I probably am getting to that point with some of them where I'm starting to feel like it's never going to work for them and that maybe they're never going to be at that level. And that's sad because as a football club when you've invested in a player and he's been with you. For years, and as fans, when you're invested in a player and you followed their career for a long time, when that realization comes, it's not really easy to take. So I am a bit upset. I am a bit downbeat based on tonight's performance. But we go again, and Sunday's game now against Nottingham Forest. Well, it was always huge, but it's even bigger now. Why? Because as I always say to you guys, one of my famous old lines: when you get into these situations, the rots they need to uh, sorry the the dips. They need to make, that. They, they, uh, I've cocked that right up, didn't I? When you're about, when you go through a dip, you need to make sure that that dip does not become a rock. There you go. That's what I'm trying to say. And the last time, I think we won eight matches in a row. Last time, after we beat Manchester United, I think we won eight matches in a row, it was a stat I heard uh, earlier today, which is, impressive and that proved to people that we can bounce back but you got to prove it again you got to keep proving it that's how you get people to believe and to to respect you so we've got to bounce back against Forrest and then we've got to go and beat Zurich and do the job and win the group and then we look at Chelsea and we focus on our remaining fixtures between now and the World Cup and we go again after that you know is what it is Thank you all so, so much, uh, for tuning in, uh, really difficult watch that this evening, really difficult to talk about it as well without sort of allowing your emotions to spill over. We did it, what, 30 minutes after the full-time whistle. So I do feel like maybe uh, some of my output was a little bit raw, uh, perhaps tomorrow we'll look at it in a, in a better light. Um, but yeah, like we are where we are and, um, and we move and, um, the great thing about football is the next game is never too far away, or well, most of the time anyway. So we focus on that. Um, I would say take the positives. I don't really think there are any tonight. Hopefully we've got a clean bill of health going into the game against Forest at the weekend, and we can put what happened tonight right. Thank you guys so, so much for your support. Thank you for tuning in. Love to you all. And uh, I won't be bringing you guys a show tomorrow um, because I am going to be working like a an absolute madman. Um, But Saturday morning, I think we'll do our Nottingham Forest preview in depth. We'll break that one down. We'll look at what Forest are going to bring to the table. We'll look back at their game against Liverpool and try and work out what similarities we might see in terms of their approach and how I think it will be best for us to approach the match. And um, yeah, looking forward to that. I'll see you all on Saturday until next time. Take care of yourselves and stay safe. Goodbye.